Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. How many of you are glad it's fall? It's getting a little cooler. How many fall is your favorite season? The season of death. You guys love death. That's what you're trying to say. It's the death of summer. That's what fall is. Lord, I pray that for repentance from those who love the end of summer, in Jesus' name. How many of you are glad that your wardrobe just got expanded? You're like, man, I've got so many more fall clothes than I do summer clothes. Or how many are in my camp and you're happy shorts, flip-flops, year-round? Yep. These guys are moving to Florida, and I'm like, I could, I could take some shorts, T-shirts, and flip-flops year-round. I might have started a house church movement just so that I can wear shorts and flip-flops to church. I upgraded to actual shoes today, so that's a good thing. (laughs) I do like fall. I like the change. In in this area, I know that we kind of do get four seasons, although winter's not too harsh, but there's things you can do in the fall that you couldn't. Like, there are actually, if you live here and you don't like the cold, you got to find stuff that's fun to do in the cold. Does that make sense? Like striper fishing gets better when it gets cold. Running is a lot easier because it's not 195 degrees. See you guys. And uh, anyway, so I am going to continue a message that I actually began last week. And the text that I'm taking this from, there's actually two of them. One is in Matthew chapter 4. And the other is in Luke chapter 15. So we're going to start with a Mark verse, but if you want to, Stick your finger in one of them, and we'll come back to the Luke 15 in a second. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Matthew tells us that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And last week we shared a little bit about how it's not just the gospel of salvation. Salvation is included in the kingdom, but the gospel of the kingdom is more than just a salvation moment. God's desire for us is not just to get us saved so that we can get to heaven when we die. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's desire was not to get us to heaven, but to get heaven to us. When Jesus came, it was heaven coming to us. It wasn't just giving us a way out of this life. It wasn't a way for us to escape the troubles and the tribulations and the the, the calamities of this earth. It was a way of bringing heaven to earth. He didn't come just to bring salvation, and he did. He came to usher in a kingdom, and he's the king. The very one who announced the kingdom is also the one who brought the kingdom and is also the king. And God doesn't want us just to live to the point of salvation and stop. Because if he did, then why drive out the demons? Why heal the sick if the gospel is only salvation? 
What's the point? It's because he's trying to show us that I've come to bring heaven to you. And in heaven, there is no sickness. In heaven, there are no demons. And heaven is now. And the gospel of the kingdom incorporates all of these things. We need a whole gospel, not just a partial gospel. I love salvation. There is a point that you need to get to when you make a full faith decision to follow Jesus. All of us need to make that decision. You can't just grow yourself into the kingdom. You can't learn yourself into the kingdom. You can't get it by an inheritance from your earthly parents. I have a mother and father who love Jesus, but I'm not a Christian because they love Jesus. I'm not a Christian because they brought me to church and they surrendered their heart. I'm a Christian and I'm in the kingdom because I surrendered my heart. I got to the point when I realized I can't do this thing on my own and I need him. And so I relinquished my heart. I surrendered my heart to him and said, Jesus, I need you. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross. I believe that you are the son of God and I receive your salvation. There's a point that we need to do that. But that is a beginning, not an end. So Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 13, 15. Did I say 13? Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had, what, two sons. This is a story of two sons. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. There was a severe famine. There was a pandemic. There was a loss of freedom. There was an economy that was suffering. There was isolation that was happening. There was depression that was setting in. People were turning to all kinds of things to fill a need that only God can fill. In the whole country. And he began to be in need. This is speaking of our time. And I'm praying not for more famine. I'm praying that people sense the need. People are going to come out of this pandemic with something. They're either going to come out of it addicted to substances and porn or depressed and miserable, or they're going to be like this son who realizes the need that he has And somewhere in his brain thinks, wait a minute, my dad still lives in the same house. And this is what this young man says. When he came to his senses, Lord, help us come to our senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and sinned against you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Last week we talked about, you can picture this son rehearsing the speech. I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I'm no longer to be worthy. I've sinned against heaven. I sin- And you rehearse in your mind how it's going to go when you see your dad again, who you've said to him, you are dead to me and I want what's coming to me. But now you've got to come back humble and you, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. This is the rehearsal that he's going on in his head. He's telling himself, I have sinned. I have sinned. I have sinned. I'm not worthy. I have sinned. I'm no longer worthy. He's rehearsing that speech. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to his father, here comes the speech. Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father didn't even let him get to the part about being hired out as a servant. He interrupted his prepared speech and goes, look, I don't care what you have to say. I've already seen you from a long way off. I've been expecting this day. I've been fattening up a calf waiting for this day to come. I've got stuff prepared. I just needed to see you at the end of the road and I'm coming to meet you. So I'm not interested in the speech. I'm not trying to be rude. But there's a whole house that's prepared for you. There was a celebration on this son's return. But although Jesus ends his story there, it's certainly not the end of this son's life. Now, it's a fictional story. These weren't two actual people. Jesus was telling a parable. But it got me thinking about this son who is now back in dad's house. But I wondered what that son needs to know now that he missed the first go around. Now that I'm in dad's house, what does life look like now? What could I not see before that I need to see now? Do you understand that if that son had stayed, he had way more access to things than he did when he left? He's the younger son. It means he only gets half of the inheritance that his older brother gets. So by leaving, he only got a fraction of dad's house. By staying, he had it all. But now that I'm back in dad's house... Now that I've been redeemed, I've been forgiven, I've been accepted, what's it going to be like living in dad's house now? And I said last week, what he really needs is a good tour guide. Welcome to dad's house. Let me show you around. Here are some things that you perhaps have not seen before. And a good tour guide can make all the difference in the world. They'll help you see things. Even if it's a place that you've been to a hundred times, suddenly you take the tour and they tell you stuff about those places. It's like, oh my gosh, I never realized that that thing was there. And so I'm going to help take you on a little bit of a tour through dad's house as us who are former prodigal sons, no longer prodigal sons. But now that we've come back into dad's house and daughters, 
Now that we've come back into dad's house, what's it like living in his house now? What's it like living with heaven on earth today? If Jesus says on earth as it is in heaven, and he wants us to bring heaven to earth, then what does it look like to have heaven on earth? This dad's house thing, it wasn't like he came back and the father said, you're back in my house. Boom, dead. Now you go to heaven. No, it wasn't the end of his life. In many ways, this was the beginning of his life. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about is two very significant things that the father gave to this son. The first thing that he says in verse 22, he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. That robe, if in nothing else, really symbolized the son's identity. If there's anything that as a father, and I'm a dad, I got three kids, and the things that a father is meant to give their children is protection, provision, and identity. I know that as a dad, those are the three things that I am called by God to give to my boys and to my little daughter. Protection, provision, and identity. And probably identity is the biggest of those. It doesn't mean I tell them who they are. It means that I help them find who they are in God. I don't expect to have Clayton carbon copies of my kids. In fact, none of them play basketball. (laughs) Not one. I'm kidding. Sort of. (laughs) But it's the role of a father to help their sons and their daughters discover who they are and get their sense of purpose and identity. I look just like my dad. And people, when they meet him, they're like, oh my gosh, you look like your dad. And I'm like, thank you. Because it's part of the identity thing. The role of discipleship is not to get us to be disciples of Clayton or disciples of a church. It's to become more like Jesus. So he puts on him this robe. Do you know in John chapter 1 verse 12, says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That son needed to know, you are not a servant. Isn't it interesting? That's the thing the father didn't even let him say. Because he cut him off when he said, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. And he was just about to give the second part of the rehearsed speech. Hire me out as a servant. And the father cuts it off and says, bring a robe. Put it on him. The best one. Don't even let him say it. Don't let this servant mentality come out of his mouth. Don't let him hear his own words. He's been rehearsing these words in his head. I'm a sinner. I'm a, I can only be a servant. The best I could ever hope for is a servant. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I just, he Don't even let him say it. Put a robe on him before he says it. Because he's not a servant. He's my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. Do you know why the father ran to meet him at the end of the road? Because if he hadn't done that, the hired hands would have killed the son because they don't see him as a son anymore. 
When he left the house, he was no longer a son. And coming back can only mean one thing. He wants more. And he is a threat to the father. So we're going to kill him to help out dad. And I'm sure the first one that would have been in line would have been that older son. That would have been like, there's no way you're taking more. And they would have likely killed him. The very act of the father running to him saved that son's life. Not only did it save him from the external threat that he would have received, it saved him from the internal threat that said, you're still a sinner. And the best you could ever hope for is to be a slave in this house. He says, put a robe on him. We don't go from just sinner to saved. We go from sinner to son. He calls us sons. That's what John's saying. He gave us the right to become children of God. That right is not because of anything that I've done. It's because of what Jesus did. Because he died for us. His blood washed away the sin, but didn't just make us a former sinner. It gave us the right to be children of God, sons and daughters. You've gone from a sinner to a son. If there's anything this son needs to know more than anything else about being back in dad's house, is you are a son. You were a son, and you still are. You were a lost son, but you're now you're a found son, but there's nothing you can ever do to stop being my son. There's nothing you could ever do to cause me to stop loving you. The hero of this story is the dad. This is not just a story about two lost sons. Jesus is not coming to show them a pathway to salvation. Jesus isn't in the story showing them, here's what you got to do to earn favor. He's there to reveal the Father. I'm using this story to show you the Father and His heart towards you. You know, when the devil tempted Jesus in the desert for those 40 days, right after he got baptized, isn't it funny how you can have this great spiritual experience and then you spend 40 days of temptation right after that? Won't it mess up your theological bubble when it's the Holy Spirit that led him into the desert to be tempted? That's another, that's another day. But the enemy, Satan, tempted Jesus, and he said the same thing with each temptation. If you are, the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. If you are the Son of God, the same thing that He did with Eve in the garden. And He said, oh, God doesn't want you to eat that because if you do, you'll be like Him. There's always this questioning of our identity. And trust me, when this Jewish boy is feeding pigs and raising pigs, that's an identity crisis. When he's longing for the food the pigs eat, that's an identity crisis. And he needed the father to say, put this robe on him because he's my son. The robe isn't for a servant. The robe is for a son. Don't let the enemy make you question your own identity. Because God wants to make an example of you. I'm going to read you something from Ezekiel. I know I told you to look at two scriptures and then read you 12, but that's okay. Ezekiel 28, verse 17. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and made a spectacle of you before kings. Who does it sound like he's talking about? 
By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out of you, and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. All the nations who you knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Do you know how many people read this and they think that's the Father speaking to them? Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17. It's easy to read that and think, oh, that's me. Everybody who knows me is appalled at me. They've, my life's going to come to a horrible end and I'm just going to be no more. I, I've been thrown to the earth and I'm just a spectacle before kings. When I get before really holy people and when I get before people who prophesy in church and just step up to the mic and just share what God showed them and it's ridiculously accurate and then somebody gets healed, I'm a spectacle before them. This is God talking about Satan. Not you. I promise you, God wants to make an example of you. But it's not an example of what happens when people sin and rebel against God. The point of this story that Jesus is telling is not to show people this is what happens when you sin, when you don't follow all the instructions, this is what's going to happen. This is to show you an example of the Father's love that even when you mess up, all it takes is one moment of repentance and He puts His robe on you. There's a consequence for sin. That was a long road back to the Father's house. But once He got there, He received a reception that is very different than what He thought He was going to get. When God says, I made you a spectacle before kings, He's talking to Satan because of his rebellion. And it's a good view of, to have of the enemy in our lives. He's not triumphing over us and we're battling against him. God put him. Why did God give the enemy free roam on the earth? Why did God let Satan even come to the earth? If he's such a loving God, why would he allow bad things to happen? If he's such a loving God, why would he let the devil harass his kids? Why doesn't he just, maybe you misunderstood why the devil is here on this earth. He's not here because God doesn't love us and he lets us be tortured, he's put on the earth to be a spectacle before kings. We are the kings, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The only reason the enemy is put on this earth is so that he would be a spectacle, a mockery, when God says, that's what happens when you rebel. I'm making a spectacle of him but I'm not here to make a spectacle of you. You are a trophy of grace. He's not a son. You're a son. You're a daughter. And when you come back to live in my house, not only do you have power over the enemy, but you have an identity with me as my son, as my daughter. So I am putting my robe on you. And when I put my robe on you, no one sees the scars of your disobedience. No one sees the scars of your rebellion. You don't smell like pigs anymore. You smell like the perfume of my house. 
You smell like the aroma of Christ, the perfume of heaven. People can't even see what you used to be. When they look at you, all they see is me. That's what life in dad's house is like. He wants to make an example of you. But it's an example of his love, not his punishment. Hell wasn't created for you. We got to come back into his house as sons. When Jesus was headed to the cross, and as he's telling this story, he knows his ultimate goal is to go to the cross. That whole idea of crucifixion was a very public execution. And its intent was to show people this is what happens when you rebel against Rome. It was meant to be a spectacle. It was meant to make an example of those so that no one else followed that path. And so in seeing Jesus on the cross, I promise you many in that crowd went, what a waste. What a waste. He's just made an example of what not to do. But when we look on the cross as sons and daughters, we say, what love. What love is willing to endure the cross, its scorn and its shame. What love so that I don't have to. The making an example of our sin is part of what Jesus put on his own body on the cross. I will be the example. I will be the rejected one. I will be the one enduring scorn and shame so that you can live as a son and as a daughter in my house. The cross was meant for you, but I took it. Because I did, you get to pick up your cross daily, not mine. And he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We're meant to be an example of God's love. And when he puts his robe on, on us, when they look at you, they're going to see him. Revelation chapter 9, verse, sorry, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. John writes, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. How many are glad heaven is going to have people from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb? They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a picture of living in Dad's house. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I answered, sir, you know. That's a good answer when you don't know the answer to something. Sir, you know. And he said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, if I wash somebody's robes in my blood, it just gets bloody. When I wash the robes in the blood of Jesus, it becomes white. It becomes pure. It becomes clean. They've washed their robes and they've put it on. They've taken on the identity of the Father. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. 
Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. They will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Friends, there is a robe for you. Oh, man, there is a robe for you. And it will identify you as his. I belong to him. The second thing this father gives him is he says, put a ring on his finger. And oftentimes, the son would carry around a ring that's like a signet ring. The robe is giving that son his identity, and the ring gives him the authority. Meaning, not only are you my son, but you have my authority. You can do what I do. You have my name, but you have my authority. In other words, when you come into dad's house, you don't have to start at the bottom and work your way up. There is no, we're just going to get you to pray for the soccer game, but we'll leave the cancer prayers to somebody else. Often, I don't know if this is theologically correct or not, but I used to love getting new, don't you like when I start things out that way? This might be heresy, but I'm going to throw it out there. Pray and test the thing yourself, right? But I love getting new Christians to pray for really big stuff. Like brand new, just filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the hardest thing to pray for. Because I think God just loves to answer prayers for new Christians to build their faith. Is that fair? So I'm like, I'm not, I'm not starting you out in the kiddie pool, man. I'm throwing you on the deep end. Let's pray and believe God to heal stage four cancer. And they pray, and then the person gets healed. And they're like, oh my gosh. And I love it. Because from that point on, whenever they doubt, I'm like, didn't you pray and somebody got healed of stage four cancer? And they're like, yes, but, you know, I've got this job situation. It's like, oh, so he can heal cancer, but not fix your job situation. It's a pastoral setup. That's what that is. Here's my point. You don't have to start at the bottom. That son did, didn't, that son did not have to earn the ring. Well, when you come in, we're going to start you out. At a base level, you're going to make 10 bucks an hour, and eventually, hopefully, maybe, you know, if you stay here long enough, and, you know, I'm going to get to the place where I give you my ring. No, it was right away. Yes. Oh, there's an Elijah, Elisha. Th- I'm not going to go there. Sorry. Stay on track. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. This is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. In my name, they will. God gives you the ring. He says, in my name, you have my name and you have my authority. In my name, they, where are the they? In case you're wondering who's the they in this story. In his name, we will. We will do all of these things. We do the same things that Jesus did. Jesus even said, you'll do greater things than I did. We're meant to carry on the supernatural ministry of Jesus today. It didn't stop with him. It didn't stop with the apostles. So we lay hands on the sick and they get healed. We drive out demons. I'm not saying we're picking up snakes from the back room today, but if I ran into a snake, I don't have to worry about it. 
Human nature wants to tell you, and they want to almost find pride in this, started from the bottom, now we're here. That's the, that's the mindset of human nature. Started at the bottom, now we're here. Look what I've done. But kingdom nature says, I started at the bottom, and look what God's done. I stepped into a realm of authority right away that I couldn't believe that God just let me do stuff like this. I wouldn't trust me with that kind of power, but God does. He says, if you keep clean hands and a pure heart, you're going to be amazed at what I do through you. I'm a trophy of grace. We need a tour guide that comes in and says, here's your robe, here's your ring. Now let me show you how you use these things. But this was a story about two sons. I don't think I read about the older son, did I? The older son wasn't quite so happy. He was a little annoyed because he had been home working in dad's house all this time and tells the father, this isn't fair. I have served you all the days of my life and I haven't even been able to have a young goat to celebrate with my friends. Yet here this guy is who's done all the wrong things and he comes in and you killed the fatted calf and you have a party for him. And the father tells the older son, the lost son, everything in my house was yours. You could have celebrated like this any day that you wanted. But this older son goes away bitter because he, like the young son, didn't actually see all of the value and everything they had access to by living in dad's house. Neither one of the sons realized what they had access to. Neither one of them realized that if my dad has it, he's given it to me. Because that's what sons do. You see, the problem with a lot of us is we have this moment of salvation, of being celebrated. And we got the fatted calf and the ring and the coffee cup and the whatever else came along with it. But then we meet the older brother who's been sitting there slaving all of this time, who's been in the house, but sees how things really work. And the older brother, after the celebration moment, I guess my time's up. Oh, is there a way to switch that off? Oh, great. Nice. Wait, didn't I say something about falling out of windows when I started this whole message? (laughs) Jesus, protect those young ones. Often we go through the celebration moment, but then we meet the older brother who's gotten jaded. He's been a part of this church ministry thing and living in dad's house for a long time. And he'll show you how things really work. And when he comes, he says, you know what? That was my fatted calf. You had yours. I had to give you my calf and I wasn't asked permission for this. And now that you've been celebrated, let me show you how things really work around here. You may think that you're a big deal, but you're a slave just like all of us. And work here is hard. You have to earn your keep. 
you got to start at the bottom and you got to work your way up. The sad part about this meeting of the older brother is it's the same spirit that entered the garden when Adam and Eve had everything. You can eat of every tree in this garden except one. But here comes this serpent. Did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? They begin to question, maybe things here aren't as good as I thought they were. And sometimes we come into this kingdom realm and we meet older brothers who are just as lost as we were. The only difference is they're in the house. And you can be lost in the house just as much as you can be lost out of the house. Those people may be in the house, but they're operating under a different spirit. And it's what I believe 2 Corinthians chapter 4 was written about. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. I believe there's sons in the house who have been blinded to the light of the gospel of the kingdom. I don't blame them. I'm not mad at them. But they're blinded. They're blinded. At least the son... Feeding pigs came to his senses. I'm praying that older sons in the house who have been operating under the wrong spirit come to their senses too. Because the father's heart is the same towards the older son as it is towards the younger. He doesn't love one any less or more than the other. He wants both of them to understand all that is available to them. But I got to tell you, the older brother is not our tour guide. That is not our tour guide for this house. It is not the spirit under which we operate. It is the Holy Spirit that is our tour guide. That when you step into this kingdom living, celebrated as a son and daughter coming home, then the Holy Spirit goes, let me fill you and show you and reveal to you. When you open up your Bible, this is kingdom living. You used to open up your Bible and only see rules and regulation. But when you're filled with the Spirit and He's your tour guide, He's the revealer of all truth. And He goes, can I show you the promise that is in here? Can I reveal the Father to you that has been prophesied about, whose longing for the nation of Israel has never ceased, who has an everlasting love, a fire that doesn't ever go out? Can I show you that this is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path? Can I show you that you are part of a family now? You're not just one, you're, you're not an only child in God's house, but can I introduce you to the rest of the family? It's called the church. The Holy Spirit is our God, and He's opening up blind eyes of lost sons in the house and lost sons out of the house. So the last thing that I'm going to finish with, and I've gone a little bit long, sorry. Which son will you be? That's the question I'm asking myself. Which son or daughter, you can interchange there, whatever you want. Which son will I be? Because how I respond to prodigal brothers coming home really determines whether I carry the heart of the father or not. Probably the biggest mistake this older son had, he was serving his father, but he did not have his father's heart. He probably expected the father to rebuke the younger son. And the outpouring of love and affection and authority shocked the older brother. And that older brother could have responded and said, Oh my gosh, I now see the heart of my father. And I'm going to make myself available to all that he's made available to me. 
I've known people that have been in church for a long time and they love Jesus. But this whole realm of the Holy Spirit and the prophetic, they're like, well, I've never gotten that. So who do you think you are stepping out into the prophetic? Why don't you come back down to where I am? Because I feel more comfortable there. I've learned to manage that. One day when dad dies, maybe we'll get some stuff. But for right now, just chill. Just work hard. Just earn your keep. And the son is looking at this ring. And he's wearing this robe. And he's going, I don't understand. You got a ring too. You've got a robe too. What did you do with it? Have you just been wearing it as costume jewelry? Did it get in the way of your work? Did the ring become a hindrance because it made it harder to shovel and you got a callus? So did you put the authority away so that you could do the work of the ministry? Because ministry is work. You got to do stuff. You got to do. So yeah, the authority stuff, leave that for the kings. We're just going to do the work of the ministry. And God goes, you are a king. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. My prayer for you today is that you'd wear the ring well and you'd use it. That you wear the robe like Joseph did and said, look what dad gave me. Look at this robe. His older brothers didn't respond so well. And I've heard some teach that the problem Joseph had is that he put his robe on display. He should have just kept it quiet. No way. Don't blame Joseph for what was in his brother's heart. You wear your robe. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the king. I have the authority of heaven. And in his name, I will lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. Pray for me. Pray with me. Pray for me too. (laughs) Jesus, I thank you that we are sons and daughters. And God, I'm calling home lost sons in the house and out of the house. Lost daughters in the house and out of the house. Those sons who are in this house but have not yet stepped up and said, I know there's more. I know there's more. I know there's more. God, fill them with your spirit. Respond to the repentant heart as only you do and pour out your spirit on all flesh. Let your young men, your old men, your sons, your daughters, let them all prophesy. Let them all move in power and authority. There is no Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor man, nor woman. Your spirit is poured out on all flesh. God, thank you for the authority of heaven that you've given us. And we call sons and daughters home in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.